His name is Dave Monk. He is an expert in content marketing and he also is a Vigo to guy for all things podcast. He hosts three podcasts himself, not one, but three. And he also thoroughly doubles in Jungian archetypes, which make him the smartest man in the room. This is evil, crazy genius to be uncovered. Hey, Dave, can you tell us what is an archetype? Okay. First and foremost, let's go right back to the beginning of the theory. All right. An archetype is basically starts off with Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. And Carl Jung theorized the archetype back in 1916. It's essentially, at the theoretical level, is the our visual patterns, how we interpret visual data. So if we see a hero archetype in a movie, he has a certain pattern that we interpret him as a hero or her as a hero. It, it's not a generalization. It's not a stereotype. So because an archetype transcends cultural barriers. Right. So an archetypal hero in America will be a, a cowboy. An archetypal hero in Japan will be a samurai. Both got the same story arc, but they've got different costumes and they're different in mm. the cultural context, but they've still got the same story, if that makes sense. Yeah, is it right that it's like something that it's innate, like Carl Jung found out, mm. but it's 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 not even something that we acquire from the society. It's something yeah. that we're born with, which is super strange. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all part of our nurse, nurture training. So we we get taught basically the same story. I mean, we're in the world as, as kids, and that's how we get trained to, to recognize certain patterns in all sorts of pop culture and marketing. So, yes. hmm. so and there is like 12 of them. There is 12, according to Mark and Pearson in the book, came out in 2001 called The Hero and the Outlaw. Yeah. And I would put the argument here that there is many, many more archetypes that we can un- uncover. As we uh, compare marketing to, say, popular culture, we can, for example, one that they didn't really touch on. I know they covered the outlaw, but in the twenty, in the two thousands and two thousand ten, there was the antihero that wasn't mentioned in the book. And I mean, antihero is quite relevant for today's day and age because they've all got a flawed hero. He's not a villain. He's more kind of biomoral. He walks the line between good and bad. So that's why someone like. Batman is so more fascinating than, say, Superman because Batman's got that. Uh, he's, he's essentially he's breaking the law by punching baddies in the face, but he's still he's doing it for the right reasons. So it's, yeah. Mm, so it's like, I guess, a fallen angel or something. Yeah, that's another. That's another. That's another same archetype as a antihero. Yeah. Mm. That's so interesting. So how do you apply that in your life? By the way, have you done the test? Like, do you know who you are? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. is it? <laughs> well, one book that I recommend for all your listeners mm-hmm. is written in 1946 by Joseph Campbell, and it's The Hero's Journey. 
also known as the monomyth. Now, this is how it works. is a 12-step formula that applies to all movies. Okay, so, yeah. so you start off, say, with an ordinary guy slash girl. You get a mysterious call to adventure. Someone wise guides them. They, have mm-hmm. a few, they go through training. Uh, they have a few little wins, but then he has to enter the cave. And inside the cave is the dark monster. The dark monster will kill the wise one, but the hero will face certain peril, but somehow there's something within him or her that will come out, defeat the monster, exit the cave, and becomes a better human being. Now, I've described probably almost every movie that you can think of. And this can also be applied to... Life now too. You know, if you look what we're going through, all this crisis and everything like that in the world, and we could argue that now as humanity, we're going through the dark cave as a as a planet. Mm. Interestingly enough, who would be the wise man then in this situation? Well, yeah, it's a good question because. The world is so divided, I mean, but then again, we all can argue that we can all be the wise man because we all stand to collate together. Mm. Oh, yeah. I can see that. So it's like yeah. wiser population is mm. is disappearing. And that's yeah, why so like it's it's yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah. That's true. Huh. I mean, that's interesting enough, there's a theory going around the economics called the fourth turning. It also mm-hmm. covers archetypes by Strauss and how that'll argue the Western world goes into a like a eight or a hundred year cycle. Mm-hmm. Last time we at this stage in you know, conflict was the 1930s, 1940s. And we all know that was the Great Depression slash World War Two, and it was written in American. It was written in American context eighty years before that. It was the U.S. Civil War eighty four. 80 years before that was the US War of Independence. It goes on and on like that, even into English history. So I think that's a it's an interesting way you look at it. As soon as you apply those and look at it, you can make so much sense of the world. I think that's what you can take. And as marketers, we can we can work with that. We can work with archetypes for social change. We can work with archetypes to make sense that you know, yes, the world is bad, but if this is a pattern that keeps repeating, then we know five, six years down the track, the world will get better. Mm-hmm. That gives you a sense of cautious optimism, I say. Yeah. Since there's yeah. a predictability, there might be a solution because yes, there's absolutely. not so much uncertainty anymore. Yeah. That's cool. Also, so how, yeah. Also, my add too, that if you're looking for the heroes and look at the younger generations, Gen Z, for example, they're organized, they're politically active in the teens. They're being on school strikes for the climate. And they're very entrepreneurial mindset. They're, they've got some, some sort of mojo that other generations didn't have before. And I say they're stepping up and as they get come of age, the world will be a better place because they, they think collectively and they will put in you know, reset all these civic institutions that our grandparents had. So I think you just have to look at the bigger picture here. Yeah. Mm. 
And especially that now they're acquiring that buying power. So it's practically, we can make, as marketeers, we can make a world a better place by taking advantage of their Gen Z, um, I guess, like philosophy that they have collectively as a generation. Yeah, absolutely. They they think collectively they've got, they've got the world's welfare at heart. They, they're, they're scared for the future, but they also, if you listen to young people, they have got the solutions for the future and we need to that's embrace true. them. We need to empower them. And I think as marketers, we need to, yeah, we, <laughs> we need to embrace them. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying we sell to them, but, you know, marketing is also about social change and behavioural change. I mean, my country, Australia, we've got a long history of social change marketing. We're one of the pioneers of, you know, quit smoking, for example, and don't drink and drive and that sort of thing. We've We've been... Government has been investing in that for about 40-odd years. So I think, you know, just put power of marketing for good. That's my point. Yeah, but even selling products, you can still use marketing for good because if you're selling not just products that are wasting time or, like, they're they're just pointless, you can also provide solutions to larger demographics because, like, finally the companies can show their solution to other people. And, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, there's also the question of, you know, having a good set of ethics. You know, do we want to pay good money for industries that are exploring our fellow man when you know, there's so many viable alternatives that will give everyone a fair go in life? Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so tell me, in your experience, <laughs> how did mm-hmm. you how did you use architect, archetypes and young young uh, philosophy in marketing. Give me use cases. <laughs> use cases. Well, yeah. I'll start as I had a case where I used to work for a gym, and we used the hero's journey for a transformation of you know, someone who was fat and flabby, and over a six-month period, showing them how awesome they are with training the gym and what the pro- progress is. And we used the gym as the sage, the wise one, and we used the Tagness as the hero and look, look look at their transformation from, you know, fab to fab. You know, so that's a good way, good example. I'm using... Did you actually my, gamify it or did, like, did you put like the decorations of as if it was a medieval cave and everything? Yeah, we, we sort of did because we just put the, the story on Instagram that it was a progressive story. That's so cool. And also for my brand, I'm, mm. well, I'm setting up a community for my podcast and, again, I'm playing the wise one, but I like to see um, if asked the questions that no one else mm-hmm. is asking. Like, I like to see myself as, you know, I don't want to sound too up myself, but <laughs> I like to see myself as sort of like a Yoda of marketing. I don't want to, you know, let's, let's have a deep, thoughtful conversation rather than just talk about the jargon. Let's, because we marketers need to play a lot more psychology, a lot more rit, you know, about rituals and how, mm-hmm. how how people interact and work with each other. So I think that's a very important way we can, I can apply it to my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I feel like Yoda is totally deserved. Your questions were probably one of the best ones I've seen. I really mm-hmm. loved the one that, that was like, what I'm not asking that I should ask. Yeah. 
And I've seen it in the, one of those movies. Like I've seen it in the His Dark Materials, I think. That's the TV yeah. show. And I was like, oh my God, I should write it down and like yeah. ask everybody. Yeah. I had a whole month asking it to people. And yeah. yeah. What, what is the most insightful or like crazy um, answer you have received to that question? The question I didn't ask. Hmm. Well, one guy asked, well, he was a bit of a nerd and he asked, what's the meaning of life? And it's the answer number 42. That if someone in those in the nerd yeah. community knows what that means, it's it's a reference from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Re- um, Galaxy that answer Douglas to everything Adams. in life is 42. Yeah. <laughs> Douglas Adams, yeah. That's what was one of my cra- most crazy out there once. <laughs> and also now on my podcast too, because sometimes a lot of my guests take, take things a bit, a little bit too seriously. So I try to get them open up by asking, you know, ask me a lot harder question. Again, this is all about balance. You know? <laughs> it was like, what's the meaning of life? Let's not, yeah. not, let's not take each other too seriously. What's the meaning of life? <laughs> yeah, life's too short to be taken seriously. And stuff. That's true. I have That's not true. yet. I have not yet come across a biohacker. Someone who. Hi. <laughs> Someone who's intentionally trying to invest in medical technology to live to about 200, but I have not, they're out there. I haven't yet met one. But. Hello, you're meeting one right now. I'm doing it. You are a biohacker. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I have the entire like poster right here on the board. I'm not going to show it because it looks crazy, but it's basically yeah. all the habits that I have to do in one day to have a beautiful day. And it's like, yeah. I'm gonna read because eh. oh, wow. I'm gonna read. It's like to have a cold shower, to do um, high intensity interval training, like hit. You know, like it's like yeah. just the morning routine. Then you have like the afternoon routine. Do, 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 yeah. do, do. But it it makes a huge difference in your life, even if you just implement a couple of them. Honestly, oh. like cold showers, you're good to go. Good yeah. sleep. You don't have to do much, but yeah. yeah. But then it could be super unfair because some people are like raw vegan and they do yoga and whatever, and then they die from an accident, you know? (laughs) It's like, man, and the person who smokes and drinks and whatever, like they live up to 130. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like, what you gonna do, right? But That's right. Tell me who inspires you in the space of marketing? Mm. Who inspires me in the space of marketing? Choose okay, there's a, <laughs> yeah. there's a guy over here in Australia. His name is Todd Sampson. He's the Never former. Heard of him. He's he's on a show on a TV show called The Grown or Grown. Is basically it just takes apart all the ads that've been on telly. But he's he's quite an inspirational guy. He came from a very rough upbringing bringing in Canada. Well, by the time he's 40, you know, he's climbed Everest and almost every peak in the world. He also has another show called, I think it's called Body Hack, off the top of my head. But mm, Biohackers. Hey. Yeah. He's, um, <laughs> he's kind of my hero because it kind of make me, make me want to go into marketing because mm-hmm. he's, he's, he acts capitalist, but he, he preaches socialist and he's got that social conscious, which I really like about him. And also the fact that he nails personal branding so well because he wears a T-shirt and jeans everywhere. 
Nice. And even when he it was a, he was a former board member on Qantas, and he is still rocking up in board in those board room meetings in t-shirt and jeans. That's his yeah. style, and he's yeah. he's staying very on point Silicon out. Valley. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's no, I, he's absolutely brilliant. I really really admire this guy, and I really look up to him actually. So I kind of model on him, but I do I do totally totally follow everything he says. I do think he's a He's great. He's amazing. Is he a nice type of marketeer? I think Does he's a very nice type of marketeer. Does he lie to the press? <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I've interviewed one of his colleagues on my show previously. It's on the speaking tour around the, around the country. So what, what was the marketing campaign that he did or like something that he did that you were like, oh, <sighs> He well, he was a principal of Leo Burdett, and he'd done quite a lot. He's vended Earth Hour. Sorry, no Earth Hour. So Earth Hour is going around the world. It's like, in, uh, in yeah, it one turns off a light for one hour. Yeah, that was his brain. Didn't yeah. jump yeah, into my head straight away. That was, that was him. That was him. Wow. Okay, but yeah. I've seen like posters everywhere around the globe like yeah. whenever i travel i don't remember when it i think it's in summer or something but hmm. i've seen them around the globe and people do it and it's crazy wow so powerful yeah hmm. yeah that's a really good example to use marketing for good yeah, that's right how does it personally help you to know archetypes do you do you like mm, you're, you're you're like looking out at the situation and you're like okay so you're the witch <laughs> I yes, know how okay. to handle you <laughs> well okay give me like a example okay a juicy one <laughs> well no one's gonna sit in the cinema with me anymore because I know the plot from the beginning <laughs> <laughs> you're like and now this guy dies and everybody's like, I know that guy dies so that's Okay, so we all live in a visual culture. Mm-hmm. Everything that we've done, every colour on every road sign, every billboard, everything has been done deliberately for our attention. But understanding how this gets interpreted and seeing it, first of all, opens up your eyes to the bigger picture. Second of all, if I'm using a movie quote, it seems like you've got the keys to the matrix and you know how to how to influence people's behaviour. I think that's the key understanding we need about archetypes is it's applied psychology. So how do you use it? Like, so imagine you go and, to a supermarket or whatever, like give, give me like yeah. an actionable example. Like how, how do, can you use it in your real life? So first and foremost, if you're going to tell a story, Mm-hmm. Follow the trope that that makes it more believable. So the one I've told you, the monomyth. Other ways you can work with archetypes is through you know personal branding. If you go read Mark and Pearson here here on Outlaw and identify the twelve archetypes in the back of each chapter, there is, there is a small test that you can do. Now, what the test involves, and I've written this extensively in my thesis, is that. You think of one brand and you picture the brand in each of the 12 
archetypes and the one that makes the most sense to you, that's the archetype. And if you want to do that for the personal brand, just pitch yourself as the outlaw, pitch yourself as the innocent, pitch yourself as the jester, so on and so forth. And which one will fit you personally and which one you're more comfortable with, then apply that to your life. So, and the great thing about it, it's based on pop culture and there's plenty of examples of plenty of characters in TV and books and film that you can emulate. For example, if you want to go for the ruler, you know, it's all about luxury goods. So mm-hmm. that means, you know, get suited up, start driving Mercedes, you know, start acting important if that suits you. Alternatively, if you're a jester, you know, start wearing bright-coloured clothes, start cracking funnies, start being more affable and more likeable, mm-hmm. that suits you. So it all comes back down to your personality. And this will strengthen your personal brand. That's so weird because usually like nowadays there's a whole movement about like, I don't want to be labeled, you know, I'm non-binary. I'm non, like, stop labeling me. I'm just a human. And practically what you're saying is in order to appeal to the masses, you cannot be vague. You cannot be undefined. You have to have a certain label that fits into this like archetype matrix. So yeah. people recognize you and can relate or like get inspired by you easily. Exactly. It's um, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. people don't want people. This is a good way of being both individual and collective. Mm-hmm. You have we're all social social animals after all, so we have to find our place, find our niche in the world. You can't just. Just say, no, I'm not going to do it and just act like a crazy person because, you know. <laughs> yeah. Dang it, that is an archetype. You can be like a hobo. And <laughs> oh, wait, is it? Well, what's yeah. the archetype of a crazy person? <laughs> it's like it's when actually- you try to be original, when you try to be weird and whatever, you still are. An archetype. An archetype. You're you're well, yeah, like you're still already well, pre- like there's there's already well, something thought about you. Oh. Yeah, they'll fit into the jester, but that could be on the dark side. The jester. The one thing I haven't really touched mm-hmm. too much is on the, the shadow. Right. Tell me more. So, okay, Jung, when he first written up, said the shadow is the face the world didn't want to see. It's your mask. Uh huh. This is where it gets really interesting. Now, you look in popular culture, Superman's shadow is Clark Kent. So Clark Kent's the face the public want to see, but the Superman is Superman. Bruce Wayne is the shadow of Batman, so on and so forth. They've got the alter ego. Okay, and what's the Batman then? If this is the shadow, is it the ego or what what is it? uh, The core? I guess, it's your. I don't know. It's almost like your private self or the you know, the darker side of you. Uh huh. So, um, you know, characters are not one dimensional; they're multi dimensional. This is adding a dif- different dimension to you. Think of it like yin and yang. <laughs> if there's light, there's darkness. If darkness is light, and I can go on and on about this forever. But the point about the shadow is that it's the other side of your personality. It's the dark side. It's the it's not necessarily the evil side, but it's the hidden side, the private side of your life. Hmm. And as brands, you need to address this because you know 
if you have show your vulnerabilities, you make you make yourself more believable. You can be more human mm-hmm. if you show a few of your flaws, a few of the errors. You don't have to be perfect. That's the whole point. Applying the shadow to to a brand. Okay, I see. So practically whenever you're not applying, whenever you're not integrating the shadow, you seem yeah. too like fake and cardboardy because it's yeah. like, hmm, what, what, what's, hmm, what are you hiding? Kind of. Exactly. Okay, what's the smart way to integrate your shadow then as a person and as a business? Okay, so a classic example is probably through crisis communications. Mm-hmm. The perfect example I can give is KFC in the UK about, Two years ago, they ran out of chicken. <laughs> right. And they, rather than uh, trying to cover it up and saying, oh, we've still got chicken, we've still got chicken, they admitted they ran out of chicken because they had some new suppliers. So their crisis team was crisis 101. They nailed their message from the start and saying, we stuffed up. In fact, they rearranged KFC to FCK and we put it on the bucket and say. We up, you know, I don't even want to swear on the show, but that's what happened. And the public loved it because they showed their vulnerable side. They showed the shadow. They showed the, the, they're human and they're vulnerable because, you know, after all, a brand is a human construct. If that's a human construct, it's going to have flaws. What's the smart, What what's the extent you can show your flaws to the public? Because I believe that probably there, there's a certain limit, right? When you yeah. st- start becoming unappealing. Yeah, so you don't want to – you want to show some weakness but not all your weakness. Mm-hmm. So where's so, the limit? Yeah, so people love an underdog. People love seeing you have given a go and people love that, you know, you're relatable. You don't want to say that you're completely bad because that will just give away. Same if you want to say you're – Completely good and innocent, and nothing nothing goes wrong in your business. That's again, that's that turns people off. So you need a happy medium, so so to speak. Hmm. Hmm. So basically, like a half and half, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Forty. Cool. So sixty four, sixty percent good, forty percent. No, not so huh. good. That's surprising. Yeah. I would have thought it would be like twenty and eighty. Or it could be 28, but you know, it's a little bit of you need a, bit, a little bit of both. So hmm. yeah. and the question as well is I guess like do you let some things just like slip up and escape and that's your shadow, or does it have to be intentionally crafted and you because you're a control freak and you're like, okay, now I'm gonna show that I'm sneezing. Oh. <laughs> it's I think you need to still be in, in touch with your message. So mm-hmm. and sometimes that your weakness is your strength. So elaborate on that. How can you how can you make that? If you're small, for example, and you can gut against a big corporation, you know, use that to your advantage. You know? Your weakness is that you're small, but you know what? You can have more personal customers' experience. Or you know, that more you know, that nice touch that people want and you know that small town values things like that so there's what many ways you can do it many ways you can apply to it yeah i see yeah. i see so if you're small you can be like oh we're just personalizing that's it's just personalizing more heart to it yeah we've got more heart we're more community focused we're more boutique you know 
we we can be more relatable to you. You're not just a number to us. You're a customer. Hmm. What is the biggest realization that um, finding out about archetypes led you to? Ooh. That it's that no matter what culture you're in, mm-hmm. you know, where you are in the world, we still got the same values. And that's how you can bond with people and like you can bond like people it, and you can you can, can relate go across to like through borders. You can go through borders through culture, through context. Because this is this is a universal it's it's a deep part of your conscious that it, that operates in the collective unconscious. So it's not it's not your conscious, which you, which you mainly think is not your collective conscious, which is about here. It's deep deep embedded. It's I know it almost sounds like it's pseudoscience or astrology or something like that, but it's not because it's it's being tested. It's actually it's being tested of it with. Um, CTE machines, for example, an interesting experiment. I like to read like a quote from I think it was about 2009 when they scanned people's brains and they showed pictures of Coca Cola. Okay. And of course, that, Coca-Cola. <laughs> that was interpreted by almost every test subject the same way as seeing an old friend. It was exactly the same part of the brain that was lit up. What? Wow. It's crazy. So, I, I was expecting happiness because of all the, like, the, the marketing you know, campaigns. Recognize that we're even just showing the shape of the Coke bottle and the, the trademark Coke Red triggers that emotive response. So it is something that is deep, deep embedded. I'm talking in the realms of neuromarketing here that it's a whole part of the system. And if you get a understanding of archetypes then you understand the whole system of branding you know it just gives you that almost say yoda level of brand (laughs) meaning of understanding and just yeah it it, will liberate you it'll liberate you you know you will never struggle to create a good brand ever again if you once you applied archetypes it is so strange but yeah it it makes perfect sense but it's so strange that in order to liberate you need to use labels and yeah. all that wow. we're all we're all social animals we all think collectively mm. even though mm. we're trying to act like individuals it's the great paradox of humanity we we still you know we still act like a collective you know the great experiment i like to do on the train is yeah. you sit down on a bench seat Fold your legs, uh-huh. just zone out a bit and look around the carriage and see how many people start folding their legs. Mm-hmm. We like to imitate one another. So, same with um, white headphones with uh, with Apple. Yeah, everyone or everyone looking down at their phone. It's all, it's all we're all ap- we're all operating at some subconscious level that we want to be seen as part of the herd. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if 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 you're like if you're imitating each other, then you're safe. Then because you're yeah. building rapport, it's like exactly. a safety mechanism. It's so strange. Yes, yeah. and it will make it easier for people to accept you as well if you try to act like them. Otherwise, you'll be an outcast and you'll be 
you know, pushed aside and ostracised, which, quite frankly, if you want to be that antisocial, you know, it's not that healthy. Hmm. So practically by learning archetypes, you are learning how never to feel loneliness again. Yeah. You'll learn, <laughs> you learn how, how the whole system operates. You learn how popular culture can operate and how can that can influence marketing. And if you're applying that to marketing, you learn how to how the major brands in particular operate because the challenge is trying to put them into a small, you know, a small business brand, which you might not only just invest in the logo, but you certainly can apply archetypes to the large brands of the world they have vested so much capital in building up the brand and telling the story that's well, that's that's a huge trend like nowadays yeah. like nobody really cares about anything else but storytelling that's like Ooh. a hugest buzzword of 2020 and 2019 like storytelling yes. storytelling storytelling but storytelling. is there storytelling without archetypes that's the question eh? <laughs> it's hey. very hard not to do it yeah it's yeah because there's another book about the things about it's called Twenty One Tropes, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it's, it's rings a bell. Yeah, it, it basically outlines every like a sub subplot. So, was it Seth Godin? I think it was. It was like he had a book, something tribes, but I don't yeah. remember if it was that. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, so like drinking the elixir of life. Comply to almost every beverage in the world, <laughs> things like that. You know, it's, it's just little, little subplots that you can do it, but as I say you can't really write a story that will be accepted if you not include any archetypes that applies from both you know, writing fiction through to writing a script through to you know doing storytelling on social media. Yeah, it, even like writing a post for Instagram. Yeah, I have a swap and, file and a swap swipe file. I yeah. have a swipe. Terrible with names and like terms and whatever. I have a swipe file and uh, it's. I have so many Instagram posts and just emails and whenever. Yeah, like I'm thinking back. Whenever there was a kind of like a hero becoming story or a story of transformation, that's definitely mm-hmm. catches my eye way more often than just like. Yeah. This is how it can be useful for, to you, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they get personal story of like this is good. I whitened my teeth and then I could date 50 guys or something like <laughs> and then you're like, okay, that makes sense. It's instead of like, oh, you get whiter teeth, you look more healthy. Like, you yeah. know. So it's Whiter like, teeth and date 50 guys. That <laughs> brings to the mark of the, the magicians. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it is. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's fun. That's crazy. That that in order to do marketing right, it's not only that you have to study all that like direct copy and whatnot. Like, but if you know archetypes, you're like good thirty percent there. Yeah, absolutely. You've touched on neuromarketing. I'm so interested. Tell me more. Because uh, what's his name? Oh, I'm so terrible with names. There's this guy who was a bank robber, and then he became um, a brain scientist, and then he actually inspired the movie uh inception no i think actually the movie inception was made then he was interviewed whether it could be actually true he said mm. no 
but some guy in Japan misunderstood him <laughs> and actually went through into like the brain um the brain science of sleeping and yeah. could recreate inception into the lab and then he like joined that guy later on but like completely crazy story and he also does some things for marketing or just like behavioral yeah. um things yeah. what, what what are your favorite like not favorite what are the most interesting things that you've heard about neuromarketing do you practice it yourself I haven't practiced myself, but I have got a sort of vested interest in it. I just like the ideas of measuring people's reactions mm-hmm. beyond the just the the cosmetic face. You know, there is. I think there is a, there is a paper out there that said that we've got basically got seven basic faces. Only oh. one of them's positive. So we've got one's positive, what? one neutral, the rest. Wet rest um, sense danger or sad or angry, contempt as well. Yeah, so this is I and mean, this is what uh, this is capturing it at the exact moment of when we see a post. So this is like milliseconds. It's what really is fascinating is that we cannot more you can test people in neuromarketing, the more everybody reacts the same, mm-hmm. no matter what culture or the culture context might be might play a part, but. Generally, for Westerners, the reactions will be the same. And it's, it's just fascinating that it's just the whole measuring of people's reactions to things and how we as marketers can, I don't like the word manipulate, but we can actually work, okay. work that to our, to our advantage. Influence. Influence. <laughs> Influence is probably a better word. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. I mean, you can test. So many things you can test, like you have a drink driving commercial, for example, you can test the fear of people seeing like a, you know, a swerving car and you see what, how that is, how's that play out? And or you can put in like a kid's film and you can see how that plays out. You know, you can do all that sorts of, it's boundless and it's endless that what can do. It's just all about playing Applying objective science to marketing and how marketing messages are interpreted. It's basically what I find fascinating fascinating about neuromarketing. It's a new frontier too. So it's only been around since 2010, really. It's really relatively new. Yeah. And it probably is not that easy to... Um, like apply it to the marketing campaigns because like um, that you can you can still have that like what is it called like a sample group of people and you yeah. can pitch sample group right mm. sample group Test yeah group. yeah that's right so, so and you can pitch them a result and they will potentially lie to you like uh, I yeah. knew a guy who worked in a in an agency that did a lot of tests like that and then yeah. they would just like tap the room so yeah. whatever yeah and then they would leave and they would be like yeah sure like we turn on the we turn off the mics and we're just gonna leave now and then yeah <laughs> and so then like they when, said like their real opinion they were like did you like it they were like of course not but like i want my 10 bucks you know <laughs> so that's what the good, another good thing about doing this reactionary test is that it eliminates some of the problems that we have with focus groups for example yeah the focus groups what you can find is that one or two alphas in the group, they all go one way, then the rest will follow. 
if they have a strong opinion about something, the others will pick up on it and they will lead it, sway it one way or the other. It's been so many papers written about it. It's, it's not funny. But if you're doing reactionary tests and when you just take that focus group out and just measure people's reactions and observe, you'll find it'll be a more, it'll be more constant. It'll be more objective what you can see in the data. That's so interesting. It's it's like when you're like, um, it's it's the same thing that they do whenever there's a criminal. Instead of like making people people line up, and then you have to yeah. find a person because then you have to like find one of them. If you yeah. are one on one, then you can think about it for yourself so much yeah. better. Well, you said something about alphas. Question, question, major question. Do you? Are you saying that there's alphas in the society? Because there were like some studies that say like, yeah, in the mammals, in the animals, there is a thing of like the, the phenomenon of alphas, but in humans, there's some studies say that it's like irrelevant to them. What's your opinion? I think that society has got a hierarchy. If indeed, even look at even, even in communist countries, look at North Korea, they mean, you've got the dear leader and you've got the rest. You know, there's, there's that, you know, we're a pack animal, we still have a leader of the pack. I know some... True. And I'll, I could go into, like, feminist theory and the patriarchy and all that sort of stuff. I know in chimpanzees, some chimpanzee societies, there's no such thing as an alpha because it's female-led and it's all collaborative, but alphas, especially as one's it's male-dominated, it's about you know, one dominance of another. It's usually, I mean, if you look at psychology and you look at freud and everything's done but sex right so this is this is this is freud in action <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it makes sense yeah there is definitely a dominance hierarchy but is there such a person as like alpha or is it all relative like, i think it's all relative okay. and depends on the context of the group situation hmm. people, how do you detect how people, do you detect an alpha Obviously, think, it's subconscious, but like, how do you consciously detect an alpha? Because as a marketeer, you probably need to know that. Yeah, it's not necessarily the one that shouts the loudest, but the one that the group listens to the most. Mm-hmm. So, an alpha is the one that will be leading the group. Is it related to popularity? Not necessarily popularity, as such. It's more. Yes, no. It, it's more about relativity. So, about what? So you put in a group situation, and you know you have you have the norming, and you have the storming, and you have the reforming. So, there's ones that usually the alphas are usually the one that's at the top and take charge of the situation. Mm-hmm. So the ones that usually dominate the conversation, the ones that will feel threatened from the others, but will also, you know, take the lead. Basically, that's what an alpha is. It's the one that leads. A leader. Yeah, a but leader. you can take leadership classes, right? It's it's not something that is innate. Yeah. No, it's not something innate. You can take leaders. Like I said, both leaders can be born or can be made, but it's usually the ones that people will gravitate to and will look to look towards. Again, this calls the archetype we have, and you know, we've got the rulers popular culture so yeah. yeah what's the leading archetypes like if you want to be a leader which archetype do you want to play into you play into the ruler 
Influential. Influential. Usually ones in the movies, they would use the monarch or the Mm -hmm. emperor, the ones that, you know, and if you look at the brands, ones are, as I said before, ones are like where like Omega watches or drives a Mercedes-Benz, ones have some sort of dignified air about them. So Basically, a little bit nar- narcissistic. Just a little bit of narcissistic. That yeah, that's the weak point. But that's the ones that you know, they like. They like to lead. They like to be in the spotlight. They like to have be surrounded by luxury. That's the that's the ruler. The ones who fly first class. Well, we're all stuck in back in the cow class. Yeah, I never understood that. Like, it doesn't make sense. You're in the same plane, like. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like if I mean, if you're tall, it makes sense. If if you're like yep. medium height, pointless. Plus, yeah. studies say that most of the plane, like a, a crazy a thing that probably will give you nightmares, but studies say that most of the plane crashes they happen with the plane going down with its um, cockpit. So basically, first class is the first one to die and you have more chances <laughs> to survive and the, so it's like yeah something i read at night but yeah so <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> not a really smart idea to go by hike like by first class if if you're not tall if you're tall like yeah. like you can explain that but damn mm. all right okay well i have a clear idea about archetypes now and how to use them yeah. Yeah, and look, you just can apply them all throughout your life, and you know, just you always, you'll never view pop culture ever the same way again. <laughs> it's like you basically are doomed with movies and TV shows and books. Exactly. But yeah. on the bright side, in life, you you will have life hacks. Life hacks, and you'll be the smartest person in the room. Mm. Who doesn't so want you that? decide. You decide. <laughs> Yeah, pleasure from yeah. pop culture or pleasure from being the smartest person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it was a pleasure to talking to you. Yes, I'm here. <laughs>